Well, glad to have you here on the way in. They hand you the notes, and if you want to get those out, we will jump into the teaching uh, relatively quickly here. The only thing that I have ahead of that, uh, if you're new to our church, and new can be defined as like this week new, or just been around long enough that in any campus you go to, whether it's here at Lone Tree or any of the peripheral campuses, even online, if you have not had a chance to meet any of the pastors yet, including Chris and myself, what we do, we try to be intentional about how we meet. I know a lot of people that visit our church are like, hey, can we, can we just run into you in between service? The truth of the matter is if you try to do it that way, you'll end up with five or ten seconds in a blitz conversation that doesn't really give time for connection. So what we do is we actually take time out of the schedule, and once a month at one of the campuses, we give a couple of hours to the idea of a meet and greet. So uh, coming up this Wednesday at the Castle Rock campus, uh, have all of that staff there. Chris and I will be there. Uh, what we do is just simply spend time getting to know people, talk to people, hear their story, uh, tell a little bit of ours, answer questions, and it's a pretty relaxed, casual atmosphere to do that. I think you'll get a lot more out of that than trying to catch uh, me or one of the staff in between the services. It's just not very conducive, and we really are on purpose about trying to make connection with you. So uh, this, this coming week, obviously, is not Lone Tree, but it is Castle Rock, um, so I just say that knowing that uh, every month at one of the campuses we do this. Lone Tree is coming back up. I think we just did Lone Tree last time, so it'll be a couple of more months. But uh, you don't have to attend the Lone Tree one. Uh, if you're like, I'd like to know quicker than that, when we announce it, you can go to the one that you'd like to. But this coming Wednesday, 7 o'clock at Castle Rock, uh, we'll be there. Love to have a chance to, uh, to meet you if we have not yet. Okay, let's grab the notes. We're in the middle uh, of our, 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 our uh, I've almost said Christmas, our Easter uh, message. And um, we're, we're called it the Four Cups. I'll talk about that just a, uh, just a second from now. Welcome all of our campuses, all of our friends, all of our visitors. We're glad that you're here today. Our Easter series is called the Four Cups. They're the Four I Wills. The Four Cups come from the Four I Wills. Uh, quickly, let me try to, um, to bridge a little gap from last time, and then I need to move in because we had a lot to talk about today. Uh, the Four Cups represent the Four Cups of Passover, the Passover meal. It's found in the Old Testament. Uh, it's actually the longest-running continuous tradition that you'll find in the world. Passover is the longest one. It's been uh, in operation for about 4,000 years, 3,800 years uh, approximately. And uh, the four cups are the four things that observant Jews uh, do during the meal celebrating the Passover. Remember the Passover, they were slaves in Egypt. Uh, God sent Moses, set my people free. Uh, he used 12 plagues in order to get uh, Pharaoh to let the people go. Uh, the last plague was the angel of death that passed through the camp. And the only way that the angel passed over is if all of the people had participated uh, in the sacrifice of the lamb. But during that last meal, they had to leave in haste. They had to leave right away, no yeast in the bread. And one of the things they did when they drank, there were four cups in the meal. You'll find the four cups in a scripture I'm about to show you every time God says I will do this it represents one of the four cups now here's what you need to remember about that the four cups are the four core promises that God wants you to have in your life that's what we're talking about in this series now by the way if you just sit here and you're like well that's Old Testament what does that have to do with us okay so Jesus on his last night on the earth he is celebrating the Passover meal I showed you that last week uh, it's during the Passover meal that the Western church, or the church today, has adopted the idea of communion. Where does communion come from? It comes from the Passover. We just don't celebrate it the same way. We don't have the same meaning uh, of what they had with it. So I'm trying to connect a little bit of the symmetry between the old and the new and where we are today. And by the way, let me just say this last thing. The reason they drink of it. Why do we drink of it? Because we're supposed to be participating ourselves. 
We're not supposed to just observe it from a distance or know about it in our heads. We're supposed to drink it, participate, and take it into our hearts. So the promises of God are to be taken into our lives. You agree with that statement right there? So I want to I try to take you. So we're going to go into promise two today, but let me read you the scripture again. It's found in Exodus uh, chapter 6, uh, verse 6 and 7. Every time we read an I will, an I will is a promise or the cup that they would drink to bring the promise into themselves. So it begins with, I am the Lord... And then here's the first I will. I will bring you out from under the slavery of the Egyptians. That's the first promise or the first cup. The second one, I will deliver you from their bondage. Let me just stop because this is where I'm going to go today. These two sound very similar to me. If you just look at them in the nature of what it said, I will bring you out from under the slavery of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from their bondage. Uh, It's almost semantics. I mean, isn't it the same thing? I'll show you in a minute why it's not the same thing. Uh, Third cup, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. That's next week. And then the fourth cup, I will take you to me for a people. I will be to you a God, and you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Now, the Bible tells us that the Old Testament's a type and a shadow. Jesus is the fulfillment of those things. So when we read the Old Testament, what we're looking for is Jesus in those things, and where do we fit in? So here's what it looks like for us. Uh, Although we're not trying to be free from the Egyptians, the Egyptians represent anything other than God that holds you in a slavery position in your life. So for you and I, it would be the enemy of our soul who, man, he owned us, he had us down, he had his foot on our neck. What God has done for us is to set us free from the enemy. That's the first promise, the promise of salvation. All right, the second one then is, I will, look at the words again, uh, promise number one, I will bring you out from under the slavery too, I will deliver you from their bondage. Okay, I'll give you the four cups real quick. Uh, One, the first cup, the cup of sanctification. Uh, Our word for that today is just simply salvation. We talked about that last week, that God's first promise to you is the promise of salvation. Now look, in our society, in our world, we've dumbed salvation down to fit this sentence. When I die, I'm going to go to? That salvation, that is a part of salvation. But that's not the, the, like the, the only greatest thing about salvation is this. Jesus came to give you a life, not just then and there, but here and now. It's John 10.10, 10, here's what Jesus said. I came to bring life eternal and a life that's worth having right now. Jesus, here's salvation in definition. Salvation is an all-encompassing work, not just for eternity, but for right here and right now. God wants to redeem your life right now. It's like the two greatest days of your life, the day that you're born, and then the day you figure out why you were born. How important is that right there? Why you're here. What, what God put you here for. What, that salvation is knowing that. It's, it's putting back what was stolen from us, giving purpose to our lives in a greater way. So salvation is not just when I die, I have a ticket to heaven. Salvation is the life, the promises, the thing God wants to do in your life right now. All right, the second promise, the one we'll deal with today, I will deliver you from their bondage. Okay, in my mind, the second cup is just simply the cup of freedom, uh, the cup of deliverance. Um, I, I guess I'll go through them real quick. The third cup, the cup of redemption or restoration. We'll talk about that next week. The last cup, the cup of praise, uh, the cup of satisfaction in my mind. Uh, God promises to satisfy you, and we'll do that on Easter uh, weekend. But let me do the cup of freedom today, uh, the cup of deliverance. Again, uh, semantics, it sounds the same. I will bring you uh, out from under the slavery of the Egyptians, I will deliver you from their bondage. Almost sounds like, the, you know, like that's the same promise uh, as God just splitting hairs. No, uh, sitting down, 
looking at this and thinking about this and spending time, God, what does this mean? Because I know you're not redundant, and I know you simply don't have something here that's just uh, meaningless. There's got to be more to it. Here's what I think the promise of God is. One, I will bring you out from Egypt, but then the second one, and maybe even more important than that, I will get Egypt out of you. So here, here's how I think it plays out for us today and what it looks like. So the very first promise of God is that salvation belongs to you. When you believe in Jesus, man, you have salvation. It's a free gift. You don't need to do anything to earn it. All you have to do is believe, yes or no? When you believe, you have salvation. It, God, God did all the heavy lifting, and he made it so it really is It's that easy. It really is that easy. You get it by faith. All you need to do is believe, and you have salvation. But here, here's a thought. While, while your passport may be stamped heaven, how many people do you know that, that, that give their lives to Christ, that, that become a believer, but man, the way they live is far less than what God would have for them. They're stuck dealing with problems from the past. And problems from the past, can be, it, can be, it can be a wound. Do you know anybody that lives in perpetual dealing with some wound that happened in their life? A wound almost puts them like in a time warp where every time you talk to them, they talk about the same thing. You could go away for 20 years, live your life, raise your kids, go back and meet that person, and it's almost like they just pick up in mid-sentence. Well, still dealing with what happened to me back in 1964, remember? You're like, I don't remember. I do. Let me tell you about it. That's exactly how it goes. And we laugh, but they're stuck in a situation. So they're born again. When they die, they'll go to heaven, but they never get beyond the basic of salvation. I read this statistic, 87% of all believers never move past salvation into the place of what God has for them in this life. They're caught perpetually dealing with all the junk in their life. They're dealing with all the stuff that holds on. How about this? When you're dealing with, with Egypt inside it, you can't get it. Uh, anger can be one of the things that holds you back. Do you know people who, they're born again, but they deal with anger all the time. They never, they, how about this? When, when we have wounds in our life, I said it like this last night, you have two choices, get healed or get stuck. Do you believe that? It's just the way that, I've done this 30 years now, and I can tell you, when I counsel with people who love God with all their hearts, and yet their lives, they're so full of junk, and they're like, why can't I get past this? Because you've got to get it out of you. You've got to get it away from you, and that's the promise of God. That I will deliver it. So I wrote it this way in your notes. You no longer are a slave because of salvation, but you can still think and you can act and you can live like a slave. And that's the difference between being drawn out of Egypt and having Egypt drawn out of you. All right. Um, so maybe this, uh, what I'm about to teach, maybe be like, Pastor, I think you have taught that before. I'll just admit right now I have. It's been a long time. But it fits in this. I'm, I'm going to try to explain. I used the exact same uh, context last time. Why is it we can be born again and not everything in our life suddenly just is put back? Why, how about this? A person can be born again for how long? They can be a believer for how long before all this stuff finally lets go of them? Unless you deal with it, it can be the rest of your life. You're born again, but you're stuck. You never drink from the second cup. You only drink from the first. You have salvation. That's awesome. That really is awesome, and it'll pay off huge dividends when you die. But what about the life here and now? What about what God wants you to do right now? What about in your marriage or with your children or in, in just your personal? What does God want for you right here and right now? And does it even matter? I say it does, and I say that the Bible is full of the promises of God.
that don't just talk about eternity, but talk about our life here and now. That's what this second cup is. All right, so how does this happen to a person? So why is it when, if God just like, if, if salvation is free and we don't do anything for it, uh, this part with Egypt coming, why doesn't God just do that? Because there's a two-step issue. One is what God does and one is what we do. And we play a part in this right here. And I'm going to show you how. So look, um, God is theologically, uh, God is a triune being. Forgive the big word there. If you've been around church, you know it. If you're not, you're like, what are you talking about? Real quickly, God is made up of one God in three distinct personalities. God the Father, God the Son, and God the, the Holy Spirit. Three in one. They're not three separate gods. It's three in one. Okay, the Bible says that we are made, we're the only creatures made in God's image. And so in a manner of speaking, you're not God, but made in the image or with the attributes. And one of the attributes you have is that you are a triune being too. So and I'll demonstrate it to you real quick. Everybody in this room has a body. You may not like your body, but you, you, you have a body. And, and so uh, Paul refers to it as the flesh. It's, it's the tangible thing that is right here that I can touch. And do you know that your flesh has its own appetites? Let me try over here on this side. Do you know your flesh has its own? Your flesh wants what it wants. It has its own desire. You know that the flesh can lust? I've never heard that word before, Pastor. Please go into the, the flesh can lust. The, the flesh can lust about many things. So my flesh, maybe, maybe this is the way to go. Maybe I just need to reveal. My flesh likes to eat without end. And, and here, let me just prove to you very quickly that you're made up of three different parts. So you have a body that's flesh, and you also have a soul. And uh, Dan DeMay gave a great definition of soul according to the Bible. Your soul is your mind, your emotions, and your will. Your mind, your emotion, and your will. How many of you have a mind, emotion, and a will? Yes. Separate from the flesh. And here's why they're, I, I can tell you, here, here's, here's the point that they're two different things, that they battle against each other. Your brain can say, stop eating that or don't eat that. But your body says... No, brain. You don't know what you're talking about. And sometimes the brain, look, we're going to laugh, but, but think about this. Sometimes the brain can be so depressed that it says to the body, I don't care about you, I'll kill you. Yeah. Yeah. And now, now, the third part of you, that's the part that's most like God, is the spirit that God puts inside of you when you become a believer, when you become his child. And that spirit, listen to this, is perfect, and he is whole, and that spirit will live forever. That's the part of you that will be with God. That's the part of you that's as real and as tan Everything else is passing away, but that part of you will be just as alive 10,000 years from now as it is right now. That part of you knows what's right, and that part of you knows what's wrong. And here's what Paul says, that's the, that's the war between the spirit and flesh. The spirit man knows this is the direction. The spirit man loves God, wants to follow God, wants to obey God, and the flesh wants to go the opposite direction. And let me just say this to you. If you're a believer and you ever find this war going inside of you, like, I know what's right, but I can't seem to do it, that's not the proof that you're a phony. It's the proof that you're actually a believer. Let me try that over here. I'm trying to help you right now. Because the enemy is so good, when we mess up, first thing he'll tell us is, you don't really, a real Christian wouldn't do something like, a real believer wouldn't struggle. When are you, if you were really, if you really love God, that wouldn't be happening in your life. And I say just the opposite, if you really love God, that's when you actually know what you're doing is wrong. Before that, you just think that's how you live life. You're proud of it, actually. 
It's only after you're born again, after you become a believer, that you realize, God, I don't want to do those things anymore. They're not right. They're not healthy. So let me, let me just break this down for you. Uh, the body part is just simply the physical part of your life. It has its issues. Can you agree with that? And you don't want your body to be in charge of how you live your life. Because if your body's in charge, you'll have chaos in your life. You'll live for all of your lusts. That doesn't just mean a man to a woman or a woman. Lusts are just the thing. I got to have that. That's lust. Can't control myself. Can't say no. Can't stop. Won't stop. Don't want to stop. The soul, the mind, the emotions, and the will. You don't want them in charge. That should be pretty obvious. You don't want to live by your emotions. Sometimes emotions are steady, but not always. And here's what we like to do. We want truth to follow our emotions. And what really needs to happen is your emotions need to follow truth. That's the way, that's the highest way to live your life. Emotions, if emotions, if your, your mind, your will, and your emotions are in charge, trust me, man, you'll have chaos in your life. Your spirit, the part of you that is like God, that's regenerated, it's perfect. Let me, let me just, I'll say this to you, see if you can understand this. The part of you that you want be, to be stronger than any other part, you want your spirit man to be the strongest. You want your spirit man to be, Paul said it this way, uh, he gave two Really cool scriptures. He, first of all, he says, I pray that you would be strengthened in your inner man. Let me just say this to you. If the inner man doesn't need to be strengthened, then why is Paul praying that it would be strengthened? So by, by implication, here's what it means. Sometimes the spirit man, the one that you give into, listen to me, the one that you pay attention to, the one that you feed is the one that grows in your life. And the one that takes control of the other two. The one that you pay attention to. The one that you say yes to. The one that you don't deny. Paul said this about his body, his flesh. He said, after I preach the gospel, I beat my body into subjection so that I'm not disqualified from the prize in Christ Jesus. Realize what he's saying? I actually have to physically tell myself, stop it. Try that sometime. You'll be surprised what will happen. You're not going to do that. That's not what we're doing. The one that you give into, the one that you feed, the one that you allow to take control is going to be the strongest one in your life. And if it's not your spirit, man, that's why you don't move on from the point of salvation into the good things God has. The spirit man is pleasing to God. He does what God wants, and you grow. And the other stuff gets pushed down, becomes less and less. But if you give into, if you just live by your emotions, guess what gets stronger in your life? This is not hard. I'm going to say it slower. Okay? When I come to the end of it, you say emotions. Okay. If you give into your emotions all the time and you feed it all the time, guess which one gets stronger in your life? Oh, jeez, you're so smart. Who told you that? And then the same is true with your flesh. If all you do is just let your flesh control your life. Think about it right now. Not you, but do you know someone who? Let's the body tell them what they're going to do all the time. And think about this. Do you know anyone, I hope you, whose spirit man is said yes to more often than not, and that becomes the dominant force in a believer's life. That spirit man is pleasing to God, and everything that he does sets out, if you walk in the spirit, 
then you're led by the Spirit. And that's what God wants from you. But if you walk in the flesh, this is the book of Galatians, then you're led by the flesh. And the flesh ends in destruction. Destruction, don't just think heaven and hell here. Think your life at such a lesser level than what God wants it to be on this earth. All right, let me, let, me, let me just take you a little further here. When you're spirit man, when that, that part of you, when you are a believer, when you're born again, when God puts his spirit in you, that spirit man is perfect, he's right. So let, me, let me give you, when, he, when he's in control, so let, let me give you the three, um, I call them the three benefits, the three keys, the three values, the three, here's the wonderful output of when the spirit man's in, what, number one, so freedom. But here's what freedom really is. Freedom is victory over sin. Write it down, victory over sin. So by the way, I said this last week, why, why do we even put fill in the blanks in the notes? And this is the truth, if you have to write it down, you're five times more likely to remember it. And if you're gonna hear somebody teach, you should remember it, if you deem it worthy to remember. It's worthy to remember. You want this spirit man in control, large and in charge, because you get victory over sin? Hey, I know not a lot of churches today talk about sin. It's kind of like, you know, don't deal with that issue. How many of you sin? If you don't raise your hand, you're sinning. So let's try it one more time. How many of you sin? Yeah, we do. So, and this is not to, I'm not boasting in that. I'm not making fun of it. I'm not, it's not a good thing. Here's what the Bible says. Paul wrote this in Romans. The wages of sin is death. Sin pays off in death. Now, if you're born again, I don't want you to think heaven and hell again. Because the result, the payoff, is not heaven and hell. If you're born again, you're going to heaven. The wages of sin are death, though. Where Some death is worse than dying physically. You can be dead while you're still living. Do you know anybody like that? They're stuck. They're dead. They can't move. Everything around them is rotting and corrupting. God doesn't want that for you. So the, the benefit of having the spirit man strong in your life and not the, not the emotions and not, not the flesh in charge is that you get victory over sin. So let me give you a definition. Sin, just very quickly, it's the stuff you do to yourself. It's the bad choices that you make. You don't even need the devil to do it to you. When you choose sin, you're your own devil. Is that okay to say? So, uh, thank you for three people. Let, look here. So Paul says it this way. I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do, I don't want to do. Anybody ever done that? There's a God, I don't want to do this. I want to do something else, but I'm not doing that. If you sin, you find yourself in very good company here. But don't be okay with that. Read on. So this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Now look at this. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. And then read this last part. For in my, what are those two words? That's your spirit man. So he's saying there's a war. My flesh wages with my inner man. My flesh wants to sin. It enjoys sinning. It loves to sin. And it's killing me. My inner man 
hates that and wants to please God. And I find this war going on. So in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Now look at this. What a wretched man I am. And then this part. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Interesting, he doesn't go, what will rescue me? Because there's no book, there's no prayer, and there's no formula that will rescue Who is a person, and the person is Jesus. Who will save us from this battle that we have? Jesus will. And that spirit man loves Jesus and wants to follow Jesus. All right, when this is stronger in your life, victory over sin. Two, healing of your wounds. Healing over wounds. So let me give you a definition of wounds real quickly. Wounds are what someone else has done to us. And I said it a little earlier. We'll say it right now. Hear me. When it comes to wounds from your past or your present when it comes to those wounds, either be healed or be stuck. Everyone at some point deals with a wound. And you need to be healed from it. And here's the promise that God gives to you. If you follow me, if you let this, I will heal you from your wounds. Heal you from your wounds. Wounds are an interesting thing. Wounds are not just simply like... Uh, you know, I, somebody bashed up against me and I've got this. Sometimes people say things to us. You know, the lie we were taught as kids, sticks and stones will break my bones. Names will never. <laughs> Words are way more powerful than fists. At least with a fist, you get hit and it's over with. But a word, a word is like a seed or a sword that sticks in your heart or your spirit and explodes over and over and over again. When it comes from something that we don't respect much, maybe it has no power, but if a word ever comes, listen, when a husband curses his wife, doesn't matter how much you say sorry, you let it out and now there's damage. Yes or no? Wounds can come from anger. It's in my life, growing up with multiple fathers and one that was an alcoholic that used to just beat the fire out of my mother in front of us. God, how, how helpless I felt to help her. And the times that I would to find myself involved in the brawl and unable to do a little boy against a man. Now listen, so I grew up, got out of it. I get married. I have children. I now have grandchildren. I don't ever... Ever raised. I've never done that. But you know what I grew up with that I didn't realize? I had anger in my life from a wound. And that anger could come out at the most inopportune times. I know it's only me. So this is why I say get healed or get stuck. Because look, I'm 52, but if I don't get healed from the wound of anger, anger, I can say worthless things to priceless people. Anybody hear what I'm saying right now? And hate myself for doing it. As a younger man, especially even when I began pastoring this church, anger could rule the day in my life. I could deal with people with such anger. Where did it come from, too? But I, it wasn't like I walked around angry. 
But all of a sudden, it could come out, boom. Do you know that Paul, when he talks about a work of the flesh, he says a work of the flesh is fits of anger. Ever had one? So they come out at inopportune, like when you're driving. You're listening to worship. I love you, Lord. Somebody cuts you up. You. Where did that come from? What is that? So we laugh about it, but when it comes out in a way that begins to crush other people, dude, you got a problem. Ma'am, it's out of control. So when does it go away, right? You just get up and get out of it? Nope. It takes on different... Here's what I've learned about wounds. People will self-medicate to treat their wounds. And self-medication's a funny thing. We, we'll sit here and think of drugs or alcohol. Self-medication can be spending. Self-medication can be sex. Self-medication can be self-abuse of just pushing yourself to the ultimate limit to prove that you're worth something. What everybody sees is a successful person, but underneath it can be driven by a wound. You okay? My name's John. I'm your pastor. I love you. It's all going to be good. Here's God's promise. I'll heal you from wounds. I'll heal you so you can drink of this second cup and move on and get beyond this and not be constantly dealing with this over and over and over. When does it move from here to here when you get healed? Did you hear me? When does it move from you know it in your brain to you live it in your heart when you get healed? That, folks, that alone is worthy of that spirit man becoming stronger. So the last one just simply is this. You want that spirit man stronger than body and emotions because ultimately God's given you authority over your enemy. Authority over the enemy. So many times people are just so set dealing with the enemy over and over and over again. So the Bible says God's given you victory. Look at Ephesians 6.11. Check this out real quick. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Look at me real quick. To take your stand doesn't mean kind of like stand there and take it while the onslaught's going on. He's not just saying, hey, just survive while the devil's coming at you. So many believers live, I'm just trying to survive today. God called you to be more than a conqueror, not simply a survivor. So listen to me for a moment here. This word, take your stand, here's what it actually means. To stand up and take your ground. Don't let the devil have what God's given to you. So many of us, man, we just do, I'm just trying to survive and make it through. And here's what God's called you to, absolutely not. Take your ground. Make your, I've given you authority here. Uh, I just don't even know how to do that. That's why this becomes so important. Okay, I'm going to teach you something real quick. Time's sake, I'm going to cut to the chase and, um, and just bear this out. The first cup of salvation, and salvation isn't anything that you do whatsoever. Salvation is a gift that God gives you. All you have to do is believe Jesus Believe that God sent him. Believe that what he did is real, true, and right. God gives you salvation for free. He doesn't want it mixed with anything else. But the second cup is now 
I'll get it out of you. And that does require you to do something. And so I'm going to show you something here real quick. Here's how most people deal when they're stuck. Here's what most people do, most believers do with the junk in their life. Uh, 1 John 1, 9. Here's what they do. Look at this right here. Uh, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Just leave that up there for a second. Let me just ask you this. How I many of you are thankful for this right here? But let me, let me give you an idea. What most people do is they just, okay, God, I blew it again. Okay, God, I'm suffering. Okay, God, I'm doing God, forgive me. God, help me. God, come on, God. Pray that prayer over and over and over again for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. I want to show you something that I found this way. I've read it dozens, hundreds of times, but never put two and two together. Someone put two and two together for it. So confessing our sins to God is great because God will forgive us. But how do we move beyond so that we're not dealing with it? Look at this other scripture right here. James chapter 5, verse 16. Okay, same thought. Confess your sins, but look to who? To each other. And then pray for each other so that you may be what? So let me talk about this verse for just a second. Uh, I grew up a Catholic kid. The Catholic Church took this verse and turned it into people going to talk to a priest for forgiveness. We call it confession. There's nothing wrong with that. Here was the problem, though. The priest just simply would say, okay, uh, here's what I want you to go do. Take your rosary. Go pray all of these prayers. But there was no healing for... We'd just go a week and right back into confession. Or if you were the kind of Catholics we were, we'd go every six months for confession. Couldn't remember all the things we did. (laughs) This was never meant to be interpreted as a priest, one person said in this. The best way to interpret this is that the highest level of living is not just between you and God. But the highest level of living is that God has made you part of a community. And that your relationship with each other and with him is necessary for being able to get beyond stuck. And here's why most people, 87% of all believers, never move past it. They live their lives only between me and God, and they never make the connection and community to get healed. So the better way to understand this is the way you get healed is not to go to somebody and say, oh, I've got all these problems in my life. It's actually to enter into a community where people get to know you and you get to know them. And then when you struggle, you can say to somebody, man, I'm struggling right now. And here's what they do. You know what? There's hope for you. And they're supposed to pray for you right then and stand with you. And you do the same thing for them. And most churches never make it past the point of people listening to a message on a weekend. All we do is deal with our stuff. God, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. And we never move into the community aspect. Folks, listen to me for a moment right now. Because a decision has to be made today of how sick you are of dealing with your stuff. And if you're okay just living at the point of like, when I die, I'm going to heaven. Okay. But man, what are you missing out on? What could it be like? What does God want it to be like? Jesus' prayer is, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on like it is there. That's what the kingdom of heaven is. It's that God wants to bring his kingdom here on earth to your life now. Ah! So everybody's, oh, I just wish, can't wait to get to heaven. No! He wants to bring heaven here now, so you're kind of used to it before you get there. I think that's a neat way to say it. So there's a process right here in the scripture that's really cool and really powerful. Um, 
There's two parts to it. Confess your sins one to another and pray for one another to receive your healing. The community part of it, I can't do for you. I can make it like the D-track, like small groups. God, we have so many different ways to find community in this church, and I can't say it loud enough or strong enough. Find community. Get beyond a message on a weekend. Get into community. Please get into community. Please get into community. Don't, don't just, don't push this out of your head right now. Get into community. Because it's through that that you can be healed and move beyond. But the pray for you part, I can do for you today. And I had this really neat thing. Our prayer pastor, Kim DeMay, um, she came to me and she said, do you know the responsibility of an armor bearer? And I know what an armor bearer is. I mean, literally, that's what an, an armor bearer carried the armor for the person going into battle. But she said that was just part of what they did. She said after the battle was over, after the fight had taken place, after the enemy was knocked to the ground, the armor bearer would go along with the sword and whatever was knocked down, whatever was struck down, the armor bearer would make sure that it was dead so that it couldn't get back up and come fight again. Do you know that's a great definition of what prayer does? God knocks things off of our lives like right now and we say yes to that. And then when we pray over it, we can kill that thing that was trying to come back on us. Isn't that a powerful definition? So I, I asked Kim, I said, will you help me put together opportunities for our people to receive prayer? And we don't want to just do it for a weekend. We just want to, we want to have a season for right now. So if you're a part of that um, that ministry, that team, those people, would you just come up and get in place right now? And church, here's what I'm going to do. If you need prayer for anything that you heard in the message today, these, pre these people are available to pray with you. If, if you just need prayer for anything going on in your life, please seek out these people for prayer today. And if you're just like, hey, I don't need that, I don't feel that, I don't feel drawn to that, then don't feel like you have to sit here uh, in just a moment. Pastor Marcus will come and dismiss you. And once we're dismissed, Come forward if you need prayer, and if you need to go, go in peace and go in joy and go in love. But let's just pray and we'll end our service. Father, we just give you uh, the opportunity to speak to us about these things. And God, here's what I want. I want these people to drink of that second cup. I want them to move beyond just, uh, I I'm born again, I'm going to heaven. I want them to move into the full life that Jesus promised us, a life that's worth having, abundant life. And Father, so often we just think to ourselves, I wish God would do that for me, or why won't God do that for me? And we ignore things that he tells us to do in order to receive our healing. Church, listen to me real quick. I'm not asking you to raise your hand. I'm not asking you to sign up. I'm asking you to consider, does God want you in community? When I say community, I don't want you to think just, well, I've got friends. What kind of friends? Do you have people who are spiritually going after God so that they're causing you to want to go after God. Because the greatest influence in all of our life are the people we're closest to, our friends. And if they're people who love God, you'll find yourself going towards the things of God. And if they're people who love the world, you'll find yourself going towards the things of the world. So I just ask you to consider, what would God have you do about community? We would love, love to help be a solution to that. There are many ways, small groups, D-Track. There are different groups that meet over hobbies and, and um, just like issues. I mean, there's so many, so many opportunities to become part of a community. The last one just simply is confess your sins one to another, which is that community, and then pray for one another. And if you just feel like, I just need, I need God this morning. I just need prayer this morning. I need help this morning. 
That's what this is for. And so I commend you to that right now. And I'll turn it over to Pastor Marcus to give direction to it. Thanks.